It's like right, right from the beginning, people are like, we would like someone to be in charge of taking care of us. And then they make that body. And then that, that body says, okay, we need money to do this. And then people are like, Ooh, don't like that very much. Yeah. Oh God. I thought you could just operate. <laughs> Whose idea was this yeah. anyway? Who decided to make <laughs> Who a Who elected these people? <laughs> Who re-elected these people? Who re-re-elected this people? Who re-re-re-elected these people? That's ridiculous. They keep needing money. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unbelievable, the podcast where I, Canadian chef Kurt Danner, tell my friend rejected King's Pardon applicant Luis Mejia two unbelievable stories from history, one of them true, one of them false. And it's up to me to find out which is which. Luis, I gotta tell you, I am feeling so good today because last episode we just recorded our clip show and i don't know i'm just i'm just in a good mood i have some some very fun stories with some very fun twists because let me tell you i got some extra smoke and mirrors for you today just the way i like it but before i get too carried away here do you have a little fast fact to whet our appetite mayhaps true perchance false kurt i have a fast fact that will wet many things i'm hoping and uh <laughs> let's get oh. right on to it so truth or falsity mm. true or false napoleon the first also known as napoleon bonaparte not to be confused with napoleon jr exactly hey there was a napoleon jr so please uh there's also a napoleon the third so the fact that i didn't know that only proves my point yeah maybe don't speak where you don't know kurt anyway Continuing on, Napoleon the First, aka Napoleon Bonaparte, loved stinky women. Kurt, truth or false? Oh, 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 truth, truth. <laughs> he said, "I want that thing unwashed. I want stinking, mm. cheesy." Mm-hmm. Sorry, mm-hmm. don't let me step on yeah. the toes of your fast fact. I got excited, Luis, you know. I will tell you, Kurt, that this is a fact that is true indeed, okay? There's a bit of a, a slight story to this one. Mm-hmm. So, Kurt, before we started this podcast, I send you a text message. If you could go check what the last uh, two messages I sent you <laughs> were, please. Do not wash. So I sent Kurt Danner the text message, do not wash because I'm coming on the podcast. Yes. Now, what was I making a reference to? Well, it is uh, an anecdote of Napoleonic times than when he was off in a specific part of the world and, and somewhere in Europe uh, in one of his famous wars, he uh, Napoleon was coming back from campaign and famously wrote a letter to Josephine, his, at that point, wife, asking her, my love, do not wash for three days yeah. uh, in order to await my arrival. Now, this became a popular myth, uh, a popular tidbit of information that has been spread around throughout the internet. Maybe you've seen it in such places of high prestige, such as omgfacts.com. Mm. <laughs> but uh, because of this, it even made the popular uh, British TV show named QI quite interesting, in which they claimed that this phrase was never said, that there was no evidence that Josephine was told not to wash. Uh, Where in this show, in this program, they said the earliest source of this phrase is in 1981 from a neurobiology paper, (laughs) again, from 1981. However, Mm -hmm. right now, the veracity or or the, the truthfulness of this fact is disputed. Okay. Because this quote is attributed in that biology paper to a different source that has not been checked 
And I have not gone through the due diligence to check it, if it's true. <laughs> so, Kurt, this fact may have been debunked, and it may just be bunked once again. <laughs> so, but for the moment, we can, that, that means that there's a, 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 a good amount of uncertainty around this fact, such that we can continue saying, I'm coming home to you, do not bathe. So, just to be clear, had you followed up on this, and gone and found this source or not found it, that could have potentially confirmed or debunked this fact. But rather than that, you're like, I'm happy where I am. I'd rather believe what I believe. That's correct. I can respect that. I can respect that. You know what? <laughs> Sometimes you just got to be like, hey, it's not it's not too bad over here wallowing in the mire. All no. right. Listen, I, you've, know, you've known me for quite some time, Kurt, and you do know this about me, that I don't think the phrase ignorance is bliss is really something to be upset about. I've been blissful my whole life. Does it come with a fair bit of ignorance? Absolutely. However, look at me, happy as a fiddle. Some people choose to focus more on the ignorance part of that phrase. You focus a lot more on the bliss end of it, I think. <laughs> and I think we should all be more like me. Anyway. Some people are like, boo, ignorance, but you're like, hang on, bliss. Yeah. You <laughs> Consider this. Have bliss. you guys considered just the ungodly amount of bliss that I have going on? in my life. <laughs> but anyway, Kurt, that's the fun fact for today. And as you have already so uh, graciously bragged about the smoke and mirrors that you have mm -hmm. for me today, please, I want to feel like I'm barbecuing inside a funhouse mirror show at a carnival. So please, Kurt. Whoa, whoa, well, prepare to be buttered, marinated and barbecued then. Mm. my friend because okay so here's here's what i have i mentioned that our previous episode before this was our clip show i have just a couple more clips for you Luis. oh and dear. i'm gonna send you this first one right now here's the clip so that night henderson and the other prospectors camp near the bank of the yukon river uh, henderson discovers nearby a little less than half a mile from where they're camped the remains of the wreck of the HMS Defiance. So let me tell you why the HMS Defiance is there. The HMS Defiance was assigned to Captain Urbis Franklin in 1845 by the British Crown to look for an inland route from the Northwest Passage to the Pacific. So basically to explore to find a, a better shipping route potentially. It was stranded and left derelict on the Yukon River after being damaged by heavy storms and ice flows in Northern Canada. And eventually it was deemed too much work to retrieve. So they just left it there. All right, HMS Defiance, I like it. A little bit of a throwback. Yes, so this is a clip from the Frozen Prospector story, which, of course, we both now know, Luis, was not a true story. Mm -hmm. However, in this story, uh, I'm sure you do this too sometimes, when I'm looking for, you know, names to fill in, uh, I'll take names of real things because that's easier than just, you know, making up names for a million people or entities. Uh, although you will do that also. That's true, I will do that also. <laughs> Uh, so I said in this clip, uh, the HMS Defiance was assigned to Captain Urbis Franklin, left derelict on the Yukon River. That's kind of a little bit of word salad. So this is the story of the HMS Erebus, mm. which was assigned to Captain Franklin, sent to explore the Northwest Passage. So the Northwest Passage in 1844 is not a physically charted route. It's just a hypothetical sea route from the Atlantic to the Pacific, passing through the northern ice flows of Canada. And it could potentially 
potentially be the answer to this problem that Europeans have been trying to solve since Columbus. Because, you know, Columbus originally the mission was to find a way from uh, Europe to Asia. But then it turns out there's the Americas in the way and you can't go across the Americas with a shipping route and you can't go down south of the Americas with a shipping route. But maybe there is a northwest passage up through the northern part of the Americas that you could then have a shipping route to Asia. Or maybe you can go f so fast that you bust through Panama, you know? Maybe big ramp right over Mexico. No one ever thought about it, Kurt. That's, that's <laughs> no one ever thought. <laughs> God, we, born too early to explore the stars, Kurt. Born too late to propose a ramp over Mexico. Well, it's like plan A is Northwest Passage, but if that fails plan B, then they go to the ramp. That's kind of what they're working with mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at this point in time. The transatlantic Mexican ramp. <laughs> but at this point, the Northwest Passage is looking pretty tantalizing because they're super close to finding a chartable route uh, because they've charted in from the Atlantic inward and in from the Pacific inward. So at this point, they estimate there's only about 310 miles or 500 kilometers in the middle left uncharted. Nice. And this really captures the attention of Sir John Barrow, who's the second secretary to the Admiralty of the British Navy, which is like a made up title if I've ever heard it. Se second secretary to the Admiralty. Mm -hmm. Sure, guy. Basically, he's one of the people who's yeah. uh, in charge of the management of the British Navy. And he's got a long history of being involved in various types of Arctic exploration all around the world. What they don't say is that he was very good looking and very well connected. <laughs> Something not mentioned in the history books. Entirely possible. Couldn't couldn't tell you on that one. But what he is about in 1844 is organizing an expedition to chart the remainder of the Northwest Passage. And so the two boats that are going to be used for this expedition are the HMS Erebus, as promised, mm -hmm. and another boat called the HMS Terror. These uh, boats are named after the volcanoes Erebus and Terror in Antarctica, and they're former bomber-class Navy vessels, but they've now been refitted for Arctic exploration. I would not think that a description of boats that are going to explore the Arctic could be interesting, but let me tell you, Luis, there okay. is something going on with these boats, okay? So they have reinforced hulls with iron plates, and they double the thickness to protect against ice damage, and the ships are powered by a locomotive steam engine that connects to a propeller. So not like a steam engine, like there's literally an entire train car in the bottom of these boats. Wow. That's burning coal and then turning a propeller on the ship. Okay. <laughs> what year what year is this again? This is 1844. This is incredible. I love this. Uh, and then of course this produces steam, which they pump through the air ducts of the ship, basically giving it central heating. Wow. There's also onboard desalination and they are stocked with enough food to last up to three years, uh, potentially up to five with strict rationing. And this is facilitated by a fairly new invention of canned food. Oh! Because as you know, canned food was invented in 1810. So now they can pack in a bunch of food for a long voyage. Good. I heard a description of these boats that they're essentially the space shuttles of their time, the latest and greatest in technology with the sole purpose of Arctic exploration. And that really caught my attention because it's easy to forget how amazing the technology of the past was to the people in the past. Mm -hmm. These boats, even by our own standards, like you and I are kind of like, there's a train car in it. That's kind of wild. That would right? have definitely made the transatlantic Mexican ramp. <laughs> that would have definitely that, that gone kind of the power. <laughs> that kind of power can get you across the isthmus of Tehuantepec, for sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. But so you can see, you know, this is again, like I said, this problem they've been trying to solve since the time of Columbus and they've got this cutting edge technology. This is really a major deal. So the first step we need to do here is select a captain for these boats. So I am going to now walk you through, Luis, the captain selection process. Okay. Yes. Option number one. And, and, you know, there's a lot of names in here and they're all old British guys. So a lot of the names oh, yeah. sound very similar. So I've given each one of our candidates here a little nickname. Great. For your ease. Okay. So option number one, Sir William Edward Perry, who is nicknamed <laughs> the Popsicle. Mm -hmm. uh, William Edward Perry completed four Arctic expeditions during his time in the Navy. And he's regarded as the most successful explorer of the Northwest Passage to date. He also holds the record for the farthest Northern travel by a human. And that record would stand for 50 years until it was broken in 1875. So he has sailed farther north than any other human in recorded history. Wow. Yeah. He declined the invitation to be captain because he said he was tired of the Arctic, which is fair. You know, he's yeah. he was up there where he's like, hey, it's real cold. OK, too I'm, cold. I'm still shivering. All right. Yeah. I'm not going up there again. You know, come on, man. So we're going to option number two, Sir James Clark Ross, who is Ooh. the Michael Jordan of exploring cold places. And okay. this, I call him this because he is one of the most prolific Arctic explorers in all of history. He completed six Arctic expeditions and one Antarctic expedition, which is pretty wild. Like he's even going, you know, down south there. Mm -hmm. Basically, there are very few Arctic achievements in his lifetime that he's not connected to in some way. And he was the previous captain of the HMS Erebus. So he already hey. knows how to sail that boat. He he declined because he was newly married and had promised his wife to be done with Arctic expeditions. So that's also fair enough. We move on to option number three. Okay, wait, wait, hold on. Before you move on to option number three, he said, no, honey, I, I'm not going to go back on expeditions for a long time and then joins an expedition. Surely not captain, but joins it anyway. That seems like he just didn't want to be captain, didn't want to offer a good excuse. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, he's not. Me. He's not joining the expedition. The, the, you know, option one and two who declined, they're like, we're, we're not going. Oh, oh, proposed captains. Okay, I understand now. I'm so sorry, yeah. uh, sir. Uh, old British man, sir, man. <laughs> Like I said, he's the Michael Jordan of, of Arctic mm -hmm. exploration. Mm -hmm. So he's not going to be just a regular yeah. crew guy carrying things. You know, yeah. he's, he's getting the fanciest hat on board right. or nothing. Right. Yeah. So in this case, it's nothing. Therefore, <laughs> option number three, Captain James Fitzjames, Ooh. who is nicknamed the pseudo Nepo baby. <laughs> <laughs> and before we go into this, Luis, can you give a brief little explanation of what a Nepo baby is for anyone who doesn't know? Oh, uh, yeah. Nepo standing for nepotism baby. It's someone that mm. takes advantage of familial relationships or familial ties, even close personal relationships with those in such a position that can afford this said Nepo baby a similar position or an easier entrance to a specific world. Mm -hmm. someone, someone who's largely benefited from nepotism. Exactly. Now, how can you be a pseudo-Nepo baby, you may ask? Watch and learn, okay? <laughs> so, Captain James Fitzjames. He's very young, but he's known for his bravery and daring. There's a lot of stories of him sneaking into enemy encampments or directly charging enemy lines. Mm -hmm. And one of the proposed reasons for his bravery is that it could have been to offset rumors that Fitzjames was born in Brazil of illegitimate birth. Nice. But he served in the Egyptian-Ottoman War, and he served in the First Opium War. He's been on some naval expeditions, but not Arctic ones. 
Islands. And there's this story that on the way to the first opium war during a stop in Singapore, uh, which by the way, it's kind of funny to me that you can like have a stop on the way to the war. Don't worry, honey. I'm stopped. Well, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm on my way to the first opium war. I'm gonna make a quick stop. Got a little hungry. Uh, we're going past Singapore. Anyone need to pee? We can get off at Singapore right here. <laughs> hey, could you buy me some combos? Make sure to get the cheese filled, please. <laughs> But so anyway, on this stop in Singapore, James Fitzjames helps with some cover-up of the oldest son of uh, Sir John Barrow. So Sir John Barrow's oldest son had gotten into some sort of trouble. James Fitzjames helps with this cover-up. And then after this, Sir John Barrow, who again is the guy who's organizing and picking the captain, he became very close with James Fitzjames and really took a liking to him and even showed him pretty blatant favoritism and fast-tracked him with promotions, making him captain of his own ship at age 29. Oh, man. So that also kind of explains explains why he's proposing him for this expedition now. Fitzjames at this point in time was only 32 years old. And like I said, he did not have any experience with Arctic expeditions. <laughs> so because of his youth and lack of experience, the Admiralty ruled him out for being the head captain. But you can imagine James Fitzjames was like, take, take me. Take me, please, guys, come on. Yeah, he's what? ready. James yeah. Fitz James, he's ready to play, dude. He's he, he's ready no matter what it is. The Admiralty said, not you, man. You're you're not ready. He said, who is not ready? Me, the man who stops by Singapore on his way to the Opium War? Couldn't be me. <laughs> no, they said, they said, not you, kid. So we move on to now option four. Captain Francis Moira Crozier, whose nickname Ooh. is the Irish one. <laughs> So Captain Crozier is close friends with Sir James Clark Ross, who you may remember is our Michael Jordan of exploring cold places. Mm -hmm. And he has nearly as much Arctic experience. He's completed six Arctic and Antarctic expeditions, and he's the current captain of the HMS Terror. Oh. Unfortunately, there's a couple quote unquote downsides to Captain Crozier. Number one, he is Irish. And number two, he's of lower birth. Oh. And so just like how I talked about that, you know, exploring the Northwest Passage is going to be this big final achievement that's been long sought. Mm -hmm. uh, the Admiralty does not want this achievement to go to a man who's Irish and of lower birth. Yeah. So they ruled out Captain Crozier. Damn. So we go on to option number five. The non-Irish one. Yeah. No, <laughs> option number five, Sir John Franklin. And this time, I actually don't need to give him a nickname because he already has a nickname. But Ooh. I'm going to tell it to you at the end. Okay. 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 So Sir John Franklin joined the Navy at 14. He's now 59. He served in the French Revolution, the Napoleonic War, and the War of 1812. And he participated in two major Arctic expeditions. The biggest downside is probably the thing that Sir John Franklin is most famous for for, which is the 1819 copper mine expeditions. So uh, this expedition actually had nothing to do with copper mining. It was just named after the Copper Mine River. <laughs> but Franklin led 20 men to chart a region of northern Canada. In the first year, Franklin fell in a river and had to be rescued downstream. Then over the next two years, 11 of the 20 men died of starvation or exhaustion. At least one of them was murdered and there were rumors of cannibalism. Franklin and the other nine men only survived by eating lichens, which are yeah. basically like this type of algae, uh, and the leather from their own boots and after this franklin was nicknamed the man who ate his own boots so sir john right. franklin's nickname is the man who ate his own boots it's not terribly catchy come on guys it's you know it's not a great look either you would really not love to have that as a permanent mark on your record but apparently being known for eating your own boots is not as bad as being irish or 32 because the admiralty chooses sir john franklin <laughs> to be commander of the expedition 
But hey, those of you who are too young or ethnic for the crown's taste, stick around because we have some consolation jobs to give out. Hey. So when it all shakes out, when the dust all settles, the expedition leader is Sir John Franklin, the guy who ate his own boots. The second in command is Sir Francis Moira Crozier, who is the Irish one, mm-hmm. and he's going to captain the HMS Terror. And third in command is Sir James Fitzjames, our pseudo-Nepo baby, who is captaining the HMS Erebus. Nice. Any comments so far? You know, I, I, I like that. I like that the Grand Admiralty gave off consolation prizes. You're supporting their process then? Do you like their selection process? I don't really like that they said you're Irish I'm sorry but you know at least they didn't just send him out to dry you know I really enjoy how you presented this as if it was a Ocean's Eleven situation each person with their specified task however this one doesn't really look specified it's like if if a whole team of <laughs> if a whole team of heist members were all the hacker guy all of these guys were just the Arctic exploration guy <laughs> <laughs> you know but i guess in this in this scenario that that's a good thing so i like it you know put their abilities yeah. to the test so yeah the, well let's see what are what are our abilities so we have our expedition leader sir john franklin can survive on any sustenance any any form of leather he's just he's just eating it up mm-hmm. uh sir francis moira crozier he's irish and poor bam. boom boom time bam <laughs> uh sir james Fitzjames. he uh has a lack of skills but he's he but he's run, but he's sure is charming he sure is charming and he'll run run at people shooting at him which will <laughs> definitely be very helpful in an arctic exploration hey we've got the whole gang the whole skill set we've got the whole gang and we've got remember our boats the space shuttles of their time so on may yeah. 19th 1845 the hms erebus and terror the space shuttles of their time depart from england with captain franklin captain crozier captain Fitzjames, and 131 other brave souls off to make history by finishing europe's centuries old search to find a way to avoid america while also getting rich <laughs> And if it if that isn't the the objective, the mission of Europe in general, what then what are we doing here? Exactly. Then what have we been doing all this for? <laughs> <laughs> so they make a brief stop in Greenland to offload a few sick men. They leave Greenland July 28, 1845, and they sail west for a few months until they stop to winter in a cove near Beachy Island. So they prep the boat for wintering, and this means uh, they, they would insulate the ship and cover the deck with tarps, basically making the boat into a shelter to wait out the winter cold. They cover it with blankets? They cover it with blankets? I mean, probably, seriously. Hey, if it keeps you warm, why not? Mm-hmm. Three men die during the winter of 1845, oh. probably from tuberculosis, but overall things are good this is seen as uh, i guess an acceptable number of people to <laughs> die in a good year some mild tuberculosis on the way not to worry yeah just a little tuberculosis uh that's always going on we included a little margin of error that factored in tuberculosis yeah. <laughs> deaths on this trip don't worry it's still profitable yeah yeah but for the most part sailors spent their time hunting and fishing and playing games on the ice while they're just kind of waiting for the weather to pass so in the spring of 1846 the ice thaws they sail until they reach king william peninsula and here they're faced with a choice so they can either sail west and hope that they make it before the ocean freezes or they can sail south and hope that king william peninsula is actually king william island Mm. uh, because they don't have this part super well mapped out so imagine Luis if you were sailing around Spain and you didn't have a map of the Mediterranean Sea and you were debating about if I sail in here will I get back out to the ocean or not right except the conflict for them is if they don't potentially sail in then they have to go through waters that are going to be hit by colder weather
weather. But if they sail in, they may never go back out to the ocean again. Right. They ultimately decide to sail west and outrun the cold. On September 12th, 1846, the ships are trapped in pack ice off the coast of King William Island. Damn. That's right. It is, in fact, an island, so they could have sailed south. But they're trapped in ice, and so they prepare to spend the winter in the ice. Oh. And the winter of 1846 and the following winters were the worst that the Arctic had ever seen in recorded history. So because of this, the ice did not thaw in the summer. On May 28, 1846, a group of men were sent ashore to King William Island, and they built two cairns. Cairns are a large mound of stones that would be used to mark a location and they would put a note in it that would be later found. You've actually probably seen some of these in real life too because oftentimes they're like cliff sides or beaches. You know, people will like pile up rocks, but they're actually using it for a purpose here. Uh, So in the Cairns, they leave notes saying the ship's position, that Captain Franklin is in charge, and that all is well. However, two weeks later, Captain Franklin dies. Uh, The circumstances of his death are unknown, but nonetheless, the cold continues and the ice remained frozen all throughout 1847. So by the time it gets to April 22nd, 1848, the ice is still frozen. Captain Crozier, uh, remember the Irish one, he's in charge now. Mm -hmm. He makes the decision to load all the equipment onto sledges, abandon ship, and basically just start walking. (laughs) So the sledges they have, they've got some small boats on runners, and they weigh about 8,000 pounds, and they're just pulling them, uh, you know, just men pulling them with ropes. They add to one of the notes in the Cairn on King William Island to say that 105 men under the command of Captain Crozier have abandoned ship to walk 800 miles to a Canadian trading post on the back river. My God. 24 sailors have died, including Captain Franklin. Yikes. So this is the plan. They're just, with no other options, go for this 800 mile walk. Yeah. And from the get-go, they're in pretty bad condition. So remember the canned supplies that I mentioned before? The canning company was awarded the contract for 13,000 canned preserves only seven weeks before the expedition set sail. So because of this, the process was rushed and the lead solder used to seal some of the cans leaked into the food, like causing lead poisoning. Oh no. Also in the rush process, some of the preserves weren't adequately cooked, leading to botulism in the food and of course giving them food poisoning. On top of this, they're three years into their three year supply of food. So you can, you know, do the math there and see why that's gonna be an issue. The pipes in their water desalination system also were lined with lead. So, you know, lead poisoning squared, why not? I don't know, maybe the lead poisoning cancels out. I'm not a lead poisoning doctor. But I think that's bad. Is there a third instance of lead poisoning, Kurt? Because maybe that's the one that cancels out. Hmm, Not that I know of, but... We have Damn. to do a little more research here. I don't know. Maybe I should have also followed up on some sources. Shoot. Maybe, but if only was there was there a third lead poisoner? That's a conspiracy. If there was <laughs> if there was a third lead poisoner, they probably would have made it out. <laughs> Well, hang on, because I'm not done with their health problems yet. Because also, the lemon juice that they brought to combat scurvy would have likely lost all its potency by 1848. So, at this point, the men are freezing, exhausted, malnourished, starving, lead poisoned, dying from scurvy, (laughs) pulling 8,000-pound sledges, marching 800 miles through ice and snow. That's what we in the business call not a great time. That, yeah, not (laughs) ideal. Not what you signed up for, I hope. Not really. Yeah, those those like what fourteen guys that were let out in Greenland must be surely so happy at this point. I know whichever one of them just had like a bad cold is like dodge some blood. So while they're on this march, as one of the men would become too weak or ill to continue, they would just put their bodies in the sledge and then continue pulling. But so then this would add to the weight for the remaining men. When the weight would become too great, the sick men would be left in a tent with some food and an empty promise that they would come back for them once they reached civilization. Oh, God. So this is a pretty dire spot to be in, no doubt, right? I was about to make the joke that maybe some lazy sailors were just saying, 
Oh no, I'm sick. Uh, 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 oh God, I'm sick. Put me in the sledge. Oh no, you don't want to be in the sledge. <laughs> you don't want to be in the sledge. <laughs> you don't sledge come after back all. from the sledge, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but pause, pause this. Pause our little death march here, mm-hmm. because meanwhile, back in England, Lady Jane Franklin, the uh, wife of Sir John Franklin, man who ate his own boots, so on and so forth, mm-hmm. first of his name, mm-hmm. his wife, she's been pushing for the Admiralty to send a search party. And after two years with no word from the expedition, there is growing support from the public and the press. So in 1848, the Admiralty finally decides to organize a search effort for the Franklin expedition. Ironically, unbeknownst to Lady Franklin, her husband's already been dead for two years at this point. <sighs> but anyway, this search goes ahead. And to the Admiralty's credit, it's actually a pretty extensive search. They send out three separate search parties. One of them is led by Sir James Ross, the uh, Michael Jordan of exploring hey, cold places. he's back. So he's out, out of retirement for this one. Yeah. That did not take long. <laughs> And they offer a 20,000 pound reward to anyone who finds the crew of the ships. This is about 2 million pounds in modern money. Yeah. So they find the graves of the three sailors buried on Beachy Island. These are the three from the first winter who likely died of tuberculosis. They find some forgotten items such as empty cans or lanterns, but mostly they get interviews from the local Inuit populations. And so these are the reports they get from that. So in 1850, Inuits found a ship with a large smokestack trapped in the ice, and the description of the smokestack confirms that it was either the Terror or the Erebus. On board, there were a few dead sailors in their bunk, and there was a fire still burning in the stove, leading them to believe that the men had died recently. It's not clear why the men would have been there on the boat. Maybe some had returned from the march to go back to the ship and then died there. Quick question, yes. Kurt, if, if I may. Uh, so yes. from the beginning of them abandoning ship, there were always two ships or just the, the one? There were always two Two ships. Okay, so they did abandon both ships. Yes, okay. they abandoned both ships. All right, yeah. all right, go on. So later in 1850, Inuit people spotted around 40 men walking south on King William Island. So this is apparently they're now down to 40 men remaining in the march in uh, this point in 1850. Mm-hmm. In 1851, a group of only four men was spotted. Oof. And sometime between 1852 and 1858, Inuit spotted Captain Crozier, who they identified using photos, and one other man walking south. At the time of this sighting, Captain Crozier could have been as old as 62 years old and survived up to 12 years in the Arctic. Because since it's between 1852 to 1858, apparently they couldn't nail down when this sighting was exactly. On the lesser end, he's 56 years old and has survived six years in the Arctic. So he's been walking on this march for four to 10 years. Damn. And then this is the last sighting uh, of any of these men. Inuit people also reported accounts of seeing starving men resorting to cannibalism. Uh, These reports were outright disregarded by British authorities who labeled the Inuit as liars and savages. And they believed that British men would never resort to cannibalism. Classic British. They will not resort to cannibalism. Don't, don't worry. They're fully okay to accepting the fact they will eat their own boots. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, they're like, this expedition led by the man who ate boots and algae. Oh, no, no, no. No oh, way. Don't He's worry. Got... What's... what's you, you don't understand. Eating your own shoe is the, the highest class, dear. Professionals have standards. I will eat only <laughs> the finest leather of the finest shoe. <laughs> exactly. So, there is also one other other finding from this search. While searching for the Lost Franklin Expedition, an expedition that was led by Commander Robert McClure successfully charted and traversed the Northwest Passage. Hey. So, mission accomplished? Woo-hoo. Is that it? Did, did we do it? Are we, we did. rich now while avoiding America? Northwest Passage so, done. 
here, here's the thing. Turns out navigating the Arctic might not be such a good idea just generally because mm-hmm. Robert McClure also got trapped in the ice oh. and had to be rescued by another captain named Sir Robert Belcher, who then also had to abandon four out of his five ships in the ice and be rescued again. Jeez. So March 31st, 1854, the Admiralty officially declared all members of the Franklin expedition to be deceased and ended the search. But there's no bodies and they never found the boats, so public curiosity is pretty far from satisfying. And it also seems like, you know, we've kind of got disappointed on our Northwest Passage search, but maybe some of that can get redirected to like figuring out the nuance of what happened to the Franklin expedition. Also, largely to the credit of Lady Franklin, who continued to promote and fund search expeditions, but the search never really stops. Over the years, the cairns are discovered and their notes, a few bodies and several personal possessions scattered throughout King William Island. And in the 1980s, bones with cuts and burn marks and evidence of marrow extraction were found, which confirmed the reports of cannibalism by the Inuits. In 2014, the wreck of the HMS Erebus was discovered, and in 2016, the wreck of the HMS Terror was discovered. Both of them were underwater. Both wrecks are actually still in the process of being explored and salvaged. So, as I said, the search, you know, never has really stopped up to the Did somebody say salvage? Kurt, does this mean we can go find the HMS Terror and see what treasures it holds beneath? What great delicacies in terms of shoes and leather boots the HMS Terror hides under the ice? Yeah, we gotta go to like the captain's quarters and he's got, you know, the cabinet and you open the cabinet and then there's even another door with like a special lock but we know how to open the lock. And it's replete with gold like the end of the Goonies. Yes, the finest aged leather in there too it's it's got it's like stamped with a year you know it's from it's from the the harvest this year it's it's the (laughs) the boot leather equivalent to wagyu beef (laughs) yeah exactly it's the skin of the the wagyu beef (laughs) Mm, yes 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 it's wagyu chicharron yeah after this podcast let's get right on that but in the meantime what do you think of the story that's good kurt i love that humans have had a history of just wanting to explore just generally and i think the idea of just old sailors or sailors in general just saying you see this place that should be completely unreachable i'm gonna reach it I'm going. You know? I'm doing it. I'm going in. And, <laughs> you know, I, I did read that one of the lost books, the great lost works of history that we have, or that we don't have anymore, is an account of an ancient Greek sailor, or no, Roman sailor, who decided to go the farthest north anyone had ever been and recounted stories on his way back of great dancing lights upon the sky and a midnight that was full of sunlight and where the ice, sorry, where the water is just ice. And you can imagine, even in, in Roman times, well, what, what he was describing, now we can see, we can, we can deduce it's the Arctic Circle, but you can imagine what this would have been like to the Romans of the time. And that wonder certainly did not stop. You know, and, and it just goes to show the, these people that said, yeah, we're going in. We really don't know what we're going to find. But hey, mm-hmm. I got a nice big blanket on. Let's see. Let's hope we don't die. Yeah. You know, terrible for that guy, by the way, to be coming back and talking about all that stuff like in that time period, because they're going to be like, cool, dude. Anyway, back to sacrificing this lamb <laughs> to our gods. <laughs> yeah, man. Hey, dancing lights in the sky. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, we just saw that in the neighborhood. Two yeah, blocks come on, west you idiot. Here, all right. Come now, on. please uh, <laughs> let me take off your phallus to dedicate to the great god Hermes, you know? Yeah, but I, I will say 
I, I love that there's a human spirit to explore places, but even to like a huge detriment. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, even before this story of this expedition to the Northwest Passage, it goes back. Uh, as you can tell, like uh, the boot guy, his expedition also was in Canada. There's a long history of Europeans going to try to explore the Northwest Passage and it going badly. And then this one, they also, you know, sink three or four more expeditions into it, which also end up going badly. But it's weird. It's it's almost like a moth to a flame. Like Sir James Clark Ross, our uh, Michael Jordan guy, he's like, they ask him in 1844 and he's like, oh, I've promised my new wife. I cannot risk it. And then four years later, they come to him and they go, hey, this guy might be dead, like right off the bat. Want to go? I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. I'm going. Say less. I'm there. Damn. I'm in. I'm in. You know, <laughs> it makes you think, Kurt, do you think the current aversion that politicians and leaders of the world have to ending climate change, it's because they're very eager to finding the Northwest Passage with more safety than before? That is that is actually, there is actually something to that, that like about every 50 or so years because of climate change, it gets a little bit more reasonable to try to na- navigate the Northwest Passage with like commercial ships. So that kind of gets re-brought up. So there, that's, that is like probably a conspiracy theory out there. It's like, it's just climate change to finally yeah. get rich whilst avoiding America. You know, everyone, everyone dumps on <laughs> companies like BP for the oil spill, but you're not seeing bigger picture, Kurt. BP dumped first. <laughs> you're not seeing bigger picture, Kurt. <laughs> BP is just trying to chart the Northwest Passage. <laughs> You don't understand. They're just doing Arctic exploration. Yeah. You couldn't possibly comprehend BP's you goals. Co- they're playing 5D chess with all of us. Shell, BP, Mobile. We just don't understand them. They just can't go ahead and, and outright say, we're going to find the HMS Terror. No, of course not, Kurt, because everyone would think they're mad. They're actually going to stop causing climate change once the Northwest Passage is charted. What if What if you learned that like every major conspiracy theory was true? Like They're implanting us with chips. They're causing climate change. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot is out there. He's part of, he's the president of the Illuminati who's ruling the world. Tom Cruise is involved, whatever. Uh, and all of it is for the purpose of charting the Northwest Passage. Well, that could, would, would you be like, is that bad? Because I feel like I'd be like, okay, that's rough to learn. But also like, if that's the only goal, do I care? They can... Uh, I think I care more, They, they leave everything else alone. They can have the Northwest Pass. I think I can care more. I mean, look, we can start tying it up together right now. Ever heard of Bigfoot? You know what he would have to have? Big shoes. What are shoes made out of? Leather. And leather, <gasps> as uh, Captain Franklin understands, is delicious. Yes. So this is like yes. going to the heart attack grill for leather boots if we put a boot on Bigfoot. And that's why he was invented. And I don't know, Kurt. I'm just spitballing here. But anyway, you know, maybe maybe we should go back to the time when the greatest wonder we had at our disposal was whether or not we were going to chart the Northwest Passage. <laughs> Simpler times. It was a simpler time, you know? The, the beautiful cycle of life. You throw 150 brave sailors at the Northwest Passage and they all freeze to death. You go, ah, oh, that was a mistake. You wait 10 years and you go, hey, let's throw 150 sailors at the Northwest Passage and just see what happens. <laughs> oh, they, what? They left us warnings in cairns of stone? Nah, they were joking, probably. Like, well, someone's got to go find the cairns. Uh, I, mean, I mean, what are we going to do? On, just shoot. leave the rocks oh, damn. So, Luis, uh, you can probably guess where this is going now that you've seen the format of the first story. I have got a little clip for you. Damn. Here it is. Let's hear it. 
several World War I soldiers invited as guests of honor. First and foremost, Georgie's son, Gramby Henderson. He was a World War I soldier. Gramby? Yes. Good name. Also, three of Gramby's friends named in the Nevada appeal as, quote, Foulweather Jack, Pork Barrel Bailey, and Old Chappie, which pork, love it. What, what does Pork Barrel used as an adjective mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know. I just kind of like word saladed the uh, World War One names until I came up with Pork Barrel Bailey and Old Chappie and Foulweather Jack. Actually, Foulweather Jack might have been a real one from somewhere, but Pork Barrel Bailey's all me, baby. Kurt, is this going where I think it's going? Did we? Did you Foulweather accidentally Jack. find a historical figure? Boy, oh boy. Let me tell you a little something something about Foulweather Jack, oh. okay? His real name was John Burton, and Foulweather Jack was a privateer in the Caribbean from 1712 to 1719. Amazing. And he was a specific type of privateer. He was hunting pirates. <gasps> and he was known for his temper and quote-unquote foul mood. He's basically a very serious guy and kind of applied that same attitude to his work. So this is possibly the potential origin of his nickname. Nice. But there's also this story about Foulweather Jack. So one strategy of pirates fleeing would be to sail towards or near a storm. Basically, they're playing chicken with the boat chasing them <laughs> that the boat following them won't sail into the storm. This does not deter John Burton, who seemed to not. be notably skilled at sailing in rough waters. So maybe kind of the combination of these two things, hence the nickname Foulweather Jack. Mm -hmm. And Foulweather Jack also was known for another kind of quote-unquote talent. He would interrogate captured pirates for any information about other wanted pirates, and really genuinely anything, where they might be, what they were plundering, any personal information about them. And he had some creative interrogation tactics. On one occasion, he chained men to the bow of the boat upside down. <laughs> Quite a bit, they would starve pirates and then bargain food or rum for information. And he's also rumored to have tied men to the deck in the sun and literally salted them. Oh. And and left them for extended periods saying, quote, the truth will be drawn out in one manner or another. Oh my God. He's just, I mean, if the story is to be believed, he's just making these men into jerky for a little bit. Uh, this man <laughs> is deciding to make some uh, Spanish jamón out of pirates. So far, the, the through line of uh, my, my two stories today are um, strange food on boats. <laughs> Seriously. I, I want some man prosciutto. Ooh, some, some pirate prosciutto? Pirate prosciutto. Ooh. God, you came up with it. The oh, Caribbean damn. gabagool? Mm -hmm, Come on. Mm -hmm. Man, way better than a shoe, I can tell you that. Way better than... Whoa. Now, okay, maybe way better than a shoe. You know, any old run-of-the-mill Nike you got laying around. But when we get that boot off the HMS, Erebus, please, don't tell me that you're not going to sink into that uh, bad of boy. Of course not, I mean, Kurt. Be... Of course not, but I can't, I can't go around saying that. It's down there oh. in the icebox, you know? I know, I know. It's, it's nice and preserved. fresh. Oh, God, I, I could go for a boot right now. My God. Ooh. Let's talk about this later. Okay. Uh, so these interrogation techniques, they prove to be pretty, pretty effective. You think. <laughs> <laughs> you think? I mean, hey, have you ever been salted I, and left I have not, It's it, not okay. <laughs> And the information that he gets from them does prove to be pretty useful as well, mostly for tracking down the whereabouts of wanted pirates, but also sometimes the personal information. On one occasion, Foulweather Jack learned that this pirate named Jose Enriquez was deeply religious. So when he went to apprehend him, he brought several priests with them and kind of sort of used them as like human shields. Uh, Enriquez was scared to fire at Jack's men for fear of hitting one of the priests. Nice. And so he's, he was easily apprehended. God, this man's doing it. In 1719, Foulweather Jack and his ship and crew were lost in a storm off the coast 
coast of Cuba, pursuing a pirate named Charles Vane. Jack particularly wanted Vane, and this is because in 1718, the previous year, the new governor of Nassau, who was a man named Woods Rogers, offered a royal pardon to pirates. So basically, if you've been a pirate and you want the slate wiped clean, you can come forward and have that done. Charles Vane, when the governor showed up, went out of his way to attack the governor's boats and even sank one of them before escaping. Nice. Do you think afterwards he went up to the governor and said, hey, I don't know, I just sank your ships, but you did offer that pardon. <laughs> I am here to bargain for I my armistice. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that was his goal. Uh, and he kind of like shot the boats on, in some way where he was sailing on the way out because he was allegedly allegedly seen laughing as he sailed away from the sinking ship in flames. So the governor really wanted Vane. Foulweather Jack, as an extent of that, really wanted Vane. But of course, as I said, he and his ship were lost in the storm pursuing him. Uh, and Vane actually never was captured by the governor because in 1720, he was killed in a mutiny led by his quartermaster. Damn. His quartermaster was a man named John Calico Jack <gasps> Rackham. Nice. Ooh. Special guest look at appearance. That. A little cameo. I like this, yeah. Yeah. This story is not about any of that, though, actually. Yeah, it's just for color, <laughs> color commentary. This story is actually about Benjamin Burton, the grandson of John Burton, oh. a.k.a. Foulweather Jack. So we got Foulweather Jack's grandson in the mix here, Interesting, okay. okay. And uh, Benjamin Burton continued the family tradition of privateering. He was first made on a privateer ship for the U.S. in the War of 1812. Uh, I mean, it wasn't an American ship, but he was fighting with the Americans. Uh, and this one when he was 22 years old. After the war, he became the captain of his own ship. And in 1821, he bought a house in South Carolina and started an import-export business. And uh, he got fairly wealthy from that. In 1835, he was elected as governor of South Carolina. During his first term as governor, not really anything happened. In 1839, he was re-elected by an overwhelming margin. And this is mostly for his opposition to government taxation. He talks a lot about states' rights and classic. the mandate of every free man to live freely. Uh, yeah, classic. These, uh, as you know, Luis, are very popular ideas in this time period when tensions between the federal government and local governments in the South are pretty high. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, this is 1839. The American Civil War is going to start in 1861. So that's, nice. you know, we're getting close to that. So that's that's kind of the level we're at here. Yeah, this is the, the period in time where being a libertarian could mean that you will join the Confederacy. <laughs> you know, right now, libertarian bros have crypto. Back in the day, what did libertarian bros have? It, it was slaves? just tax avoidance. Oh. That was it. Oh, yeah. Well, that too. I mean, I mean, tax avoidance <laughs> and own slaves. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's a tax deductible. <laughs> yeah. So in 1841, uh, Benjamin Burton issued the Ordinance of Nullification. And this was a response to a newly issued federal tariff. So the tariffs were on exports going out of South Carolina that were from plantations. The Ordinance of Nullification declared them unconstitutional. Basically, he said, we're not paying any taxes we don't like. Nice. Hell yeah. And this causes a big problem as you can imagine. Eventually, after quite a long, drawn-out process, he's forced to concede some other taxes to appease President Tyler uh, because President Tyler threatened to deploy ground troops if the situation wasn't resolved. <laughs> but all in all, this is still kind of seen as a win for Burton because he stood up to the federal government and made them bend a little bit on this issue. In 1842, he proposed extensive budget cuts to the state government, and he hypothesized that the money could instead go towards infrastructure. This is a very popular idea. Uh, the following year in 1843, he expanded and renovated ports in Charlestown and Georgetown, and he also dramatically slashed export taxes on plantation goods. These things also were very popular, as you might imagine. Mm -hmm. However, later in 1843, rumors started to circulate about an affair between Burton and a pregnant mistress. Damn. Burton, for the record, is married with two children. Damn. You know, obviously, as you can imagine, in this 
time period, uh, having a pregnant mistress would be bad either way, even worse when you're married with two children. But despite this, in 1844, he's re-elected again. And uh, you may be saying, actually, he's re-elected because didn't I say he's re-elected before? At this point in time, there are no term limits for governors. It is a bit of an anomaly for a governor to serve three terms, but it's not unheard of. But we have not yet reached the, the point in history in the United States where people are worried about, hmm, what if someone just like kept getting re-elected over and over and over forever? <laughs> <laughs> so he gets re-reelected in 1844. And then on February 12th, 1846, at this hotel in Charleston called the King's Courtyard Inn, a drunk Benjamin Burton in some sort of argument shoots and kills a man named Eli Cox. Oh. Two days later, February 14th, Benjamin Burton Shipping Company buys a hotel and releases the staff with two years salary pay. Uh, this is probably meant to keep things quiet and, you know, the whole incident. But unfortunately, it's a little bit too loud because stories presumably reached Washington, D.C. And President Polk sent a man named Captain John Stokely to investigate the rumors. So November 1846, John Stokely arrives in Columbia, South Carolina. That's the capital of the state. Uh, and he begins following Benjamin Burton. Right off the bat, he discovers that Benjamin Burton has a bit of a gambling habit. And when I say a bit, I mean he's got like a massive gambling problem. Like just huge amounts of money are going into gambling. Very nice. Very nice. He also has several mistresses. And Stokely even hears some rumors of some male companions but there's never any follow-up on this yes. one or the other. So, Hell yes. Ooh. This story just got fun. You know, my boy ben, Benji's just having a good old time. You know, it's a surprise to me that he was willing, so willing to cut down taxes because had he kept taxes high, he'd have more money to go gamble. Like, oh, oh, hold that thought, Luis. <gasps> oh, hold that thought. yes. What if you could cut taxes without cutting taxes? All right, I Ooh. like where this is going. Okay, right? we're getting ahead of ourselves, all right? <laughs> so December 1846, then Stokely travels to Charleston to speak with some former employees of the King's Courtyard Inn. He gets their stories. January 1847, Stokely returns to Columbia, but he discovers that Burton and his wife have gone to Savannah to see family. So he waits in the capital for a couple weeks, then... And Stokely sends a letter to Savannah inquiring when Burton might return to the capital, only to discover that Burton and his wife never arrived in Savannah. Nice. So John Stokely continues waiting in the capital, but it's several months before Burton shows up. He comes to the capital August 23rd, 1847, and Stokely and the U.S. National Guard take Burton into custody the following day, August 24th. Burton, when he's questioned, claims that he and his wife were in Savannah, definitely not in hiding, uh, and he's just returned to Columbia to announce to the good people that he's ready to be re-elected for another term. Or I guess in this case, it'd be re-re-re-elected. One more term, yeah. One more term. And then after Six that, one more, more terms. <laughs> Twelve more terms. <laughs> So they are not really buying this, so they keep him in custody. In Burton's possession, Stokely finds correspondence with the Spanish government. Oh. Basically, Burton has been letting Spain, quote unquote, smuggle imports in through his shipping company in exchange for payoffs. Basically, he's been letting Spain import things tax-free through his shipping company, and then he can look the other way on it because he's also the governor. It's always the Spanish, isn't it? <laughs> you know... Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Based on this information, in 1848, the U.S. government opens an investigation into Burton Shipping Company, and they basically discover that he's been using the shipping company as a money laundering apparatus to fund his gambling slash general spending habits. So some of the payments, obviously, are from the Spanish government, but there are also some payments from fraudulent nullification ordinance reimbursements. So how this worked when the nullification ordinance was issued is that if you had already paid this tariff, it said, now the government owes you that money back. However, numerous reimbursements 
reimbursements were directed to Burton's company instead of their correct recipients. Nice. So basically, a bunch of people paid taxes directly to Benjamin Burton. Hell yeah. <laughs> There's also several sizable figures of unknown origin. It's hypothesized that these are likely payoffs or campaign donations. But all in all, Burton stole or was bribed an estimated $54,000. Uh, this is just under $2 million in modern money. After this, they place Burton under house arrest while the U.S. government tries to decide how to proceed. They're kind of in, in uncharted waters because given that he's a sitting governor or maybe at this point should be considered a former governor, a prison sentence is pretty unheard of. And that would look especially bad right now in a time where the federal government is being accused of abuse of power in southern mm -hmm, states. Mm -hmm. They also know from looking into his books that he's basically penniless. In fact, he probably, quote unquote, went to Savannah because he owes the Spanish government a whole bunch of money for cargo that they sent him that he was then unable to sneak past new government import taxes. So he's actually like penniless, indebted to the Spanish government. They can seize his assets, but it's not going to do much to actually get the money back. And of course, they definitely cannot let him stay governor. Ultimately, none of this ends up mattering because Burton dies of tuberculosis in April 1850 at age 60. And at that point, anyway, Governor Robert Francis Withers Alston had already been elected in 1848, two years earlier. He was elected on the proposal of how about states' rights, but without as much tax fraud. Uh, which was a real big hit, believe whoa, it or not. Whoa, 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 Kurt. <laughs> States' rights, no tax whoa. fraud? What's that mean? Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, and speaking of states' rights, uh, everybody gets preoccupied with avoiding or incurring the disastrous effects of the impending civil war. Because Burton is dead, people don't really follow up on it much further than that. So the extent of his corruption never really got uncovered. Wow. I thought you were going to... Is that, is, that, is that the end of the story? That's it. Full stop. Wow. Full stop. The man's dead. Please. <laughs> well, I guess I did. I mean, I did kill his grandfather and then go but this isn't about that but th this one it was about him yeah, he was the guy we're not gonna get a secret <laughs> grandson here that fought in the civil war either uh but probably were some you know secret sons i'll mm -hmm. say no this guy's record but uh not any that made it into the history books. interesting okay oh. this is the the end of the foul weather line you know the, yeah the foul foul weather lineage <laughs> the foul weather lineage Oh, that's listen, Kurt. I'm I have a couple comments on this story, please. The first being I love or I just find it so funny or fascinating that taxation has been such an issue always, you know, always like it's always been an issue and it's always been a thing that politicians want to it's like right right from the beginning people are like we would like someone to be in charge of taking care of us and then they make that body and then that that body says okay we need money to do this and then people are like ooh, don't like that very much yeah oh god i thought you could just operate <laughs> whose idea was this yeah. anyway who decided to make <laughs> who a body elected that these people <laughs> who re-elected these people who re-re-elected this people who re-re-re-elected these people that's ridiculous they keep needing money but no it's it's a this has gone far enough there's no way i'm voting for benjamin burton for re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-re-election he's dead but he's still on the ballot not after his last 26 terms of course not the election was stolen and whatnot um no but i i love that that's just taxation has always been a problem like you said just saying yeah yeah i understand why you need to charge us money for goods essential goods and services but how about you don't you know i love that and, that, and that's been happening I mean, shoot, since the inception of the country and what some of the oldest documents we have of the written word are just taxation documents. 
I just find that so funny. Second, although this sounds like a story that could happen now, I really miss this specific part of US history. I really think about it often when a governor could just go for a trip, no one could track them down, and then come back and the National Guard apprehend, apprehends yeah. them. Like that, I think, what, what did you mention? That there were actual standing troops that were used as a threat to be sent down to, to South Carolina. That's. I think we should go back. Yeah, back when the whole country when the was the Wild West. Like, I, I yeah. like how he just slipped into being governor, too. Right. Like, he was just like, I'm a boat captain. Oops, now I'm governor. And then he's just like, these taxes, I don't like them. I'm not paying them. Oh, the army's coming? I'll pay a little bit. <laughs> oh, God, but we could gamble a little more. You know, I love that. Everybody, everybody was just living like they had just quick saved their game, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> quick save. I'm not paying taxes. Seriously, we're, we're hard reset is just death. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. And, and that's great that he comes from a, from a long lineage of different people you know like yeah foul weather jack that's that's a one hell of a grandparent do you think he brought it out at first dates do you know <laughs> do you think that's how he wooed the pregnant woman anyway now all i gotta say kurt i i i think this particular period of, of u.s politics is great back when you could make a, a grammatical error in your speech in congress and got beaten up by a cane you know that <laughs> i think this was this was really really a time sure a lot of people didn't have it well uh, A.K.A. the slaves. In, oh, yeah, with well, the, the disclaimer. It was never the golden age for no, everyone, no, no, right? It's never a golden age for anyone. And, you know, yeah, the country was going to face its most devastating war in its history in just a mere 20 years. But uh, yeah. it's most devastating war in history this far. Exactly, please. exactly. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll lay some of my cards <laughs> out on the table. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of former President Donald J. Trump, president of the U.S., mm. I'm not a, a big fan of him, but I will say that he has brought some goofiness back into the presidency and back into some political leaders that I think we've been missing since the 1840s. You know, it is. That's true. It's true. It's, it is getting strange over here. You know what it is? I, I think it's because when they first formed the country, there was all kinds of, you know, like people testing out the rules or seeing what they could break. There was a whole lot of like, well, no one ever tried this before. So we don't know what to do in this yeah. situation, you know? Yeah. And I, if, I feels like the political system had gotten lulled into like, we figured out how this works. And then the last few years, it's just been like, all of a sudden we realized a whole bunch of new things. And now nobody knows what you can and can't do anymore. I love it. I love, I, you know, it's terrifying how However, History repeats itself. It's terrifying, you know? but it's really fun. <laughs> Watch out. Who's the who's the governor of South Carolina? Tell him to stop paying taxes right now. Also stop taxing Spain. <laughs> <laughs> So, Luis, I feel like bef before we go any further, I just want to analyze kind of the, the level of, of smoke and mirrors. You know, not, not just to toot my own horn, but I want everyone to appreciate <laughs> what you've got to put up with here. So these, I gave you two quotes from former untrue stories that I am now telling you stories about, one of which you know will be untrue. So one of these, yeah. I'm turning truth out of lies, and the other, I'm going to be compounding lies onto lies. That's it's a lot of lies. A bit, it's, I mean, we're just got uh, it's many layers of a cake here is what we got going many many layers of a cake called disinformation but i love how you introduce that kurt hey louise uh, new band name i call it a cake called disinformation 
<laughs> he came up to me saying, hey, Luis, could you tell me how good a job I did, please? <laughs> anyway, no, it's good, Kurt. I, I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't really put it together until you just said it right now that both of the, of the stories you shared are false stories or were false stories in the time. Right. That's incredible. Well, obviously, I can't correct true stories, you know. <laughs> well, well, Kurt, I, 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 more and more, I dislike making this podcast uh, because we're getting too good at stories. You know, I hate being put into this predicament. But anyway, let's move into our my least favorite part of this podcast, which, as we all know, our favorite, least favorite part. Exactly. Deliberation. So to recap, and this is going to be a bit extensive. So (laughs) the original clip was from the story of the frozen prospector in which I talked about a boat called the HMS Defiance, which was assigned to Captain Erebus Franklin left derelict in the Yukon River. When in reality, there was a boat called the HMS Erebus along with the HMS Terror assigned to Captain Franklin exploring the Northwest Passage. Unfortunately, met icy disaster and they had to walk on their death march until only Captain Crozier, the Irish. One. Yeah. And one other unidentified guy, maybe. One other Shimon, one other guy, which not. yet to be yeah. yet to be known. Right. All for the sweet, sweet boot leather or something. And the second story, in which I played you a clip from Georgie's last big bash yeah. of the names of the World War One soldiers in attendance, Pork Barrel Bailey, yes. Granby Henderson, Foulweather Jack, and Old Chappie. Yeah. When in fact Foulweather Jack was a privateer hunting pirates whose grandson would later be the governor of South Carolina stealing money left right front and center to gamble it all away good. and die of tuberculosis as all the good ones do as all the good ones do run from it hide from it tuberculosis always arrives sooner or later always coming for you, know? you. oh man kurt these are good stories and i and and you're a good storyteller thank you <laughs> uh and i like i mentioned the beginning of this podcast Ignorance really is bliss, and I revel mm. in that bliss. Mm. And that ignorance. And that ignorance, yes, yeah, certainly. <laughs> and what is it? I think Jean-Paul Sartre uh, said once, uh. I've never met, I've never met uh, an intelligent person who is not depressed. Mm. You know, I don't know if it was Jean-Paul Sartre or if it was Ernest Hemingway, one of the two. But some, someone at one point said, I, I have not met a, a, a smart person that's not depressed. And I feel like gaining the knowledge of which story is true will make me depressed. However, mm. as I've been listening to these two stories, I have I have a couple things to say, Kurt. Now, second story. Mm-hmm. Second story from the get-go makes me a little hesitant. And it's not, not a, a dig at you or anything, but you're good at making names, Kurt. However, I think it's too much of a coincidence that a, a fake name you made up turned out to be a real person. It's, it's, not a, it's not a fake name I made up that turned out to be a real person. Regardless. Okay, but just, just to be clear, I'm not saying like I made up this name and also there was a real person named this. As, as, as I said in the clip that it was like a name that I saw somewhere mm-hmm. and then used in the mm-hmm. story, just like with the but, quotes. But what, where, please continue. Where, where I'm... I'm, I'm I'll concede to that. Yes. And that does better the odds for you. (laughs) But still that I think the color commentary, while fun, I think was a bit revealing. Mm. You you got excited to tell me about pirate pirates. Pirates. And then we moved in immediately to the grandson. Secondly, aren't privateers just legal pirates? (laughs) 
something to put out on there. Is the is the art privateers just legal pirates? Is that a point to my story? Or is that just it's a point? Let the record it's a show? point against your story. It's a like let the records uh, in my brain. Okay, then in that case, it, then in that case, in that case, okay. let me let me specify because I knew you were going to say that because I know right. I know my boy okay. is is a pirate scholar. I, yeah, I do he love cares me pirates very deeply Yar. about the piracy history. <laughs> okay, so I I contend because we're talking about foul weather jacks privateering here, right? Because uh, because uh, Benjamin. Burton privateered in 1812. Yeah, so that's yeah. like a whole other thing. Yeah. Foulweather Jack privateered hunting pirates. So I guess you could still say it's piracy if you're taking from pirates, but he's not like raiding Spanish government ships. So does, is that still fit into your, is he still a privateer who's basically a pirate or is he like a, cause it's kind of like bounty hunting in a way. I think. It is. It is like, well, I don't bounty know what, maybe they're the plundering along the way too. I don't know. Uh, listen, the way I understand it, it's, it's bounty hunting for your own country, right? But that's just, how about this, Kurt? It doesn't add or subtract a point into your story. It's just something to make you think that has been making me I'll think. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Now, Sold. first story, Northwest Passage. Kurt, I don't know if you are if you recall, back when we lived together, we used to listen to a song named Northwest Passage mm. by famous Canadian folk singer Stan Rogers. Okay. In this okay. song, Northwest Passage, it essentially tells the, a folkloric tale of someone aiming to go chart the Northwest Passage or thinking about the old mm. chartings of this. Mm. Now, am I about to base most of my decision and most of my deliberation on a folk song? Absolutely. But uh, you know what? That's pretty good. Considering what in general for you, that's that's quite a bit of evidence. You know, and in that song, <laughs> they mention I'm going to the Northwest Passage to find the land that Franklin sought. Mm. So it mentions Captain Franklin. And in some other part of the song, Stan Rogers mentions cairns of stone. Okay, so it does mm. make reference to the cairns of stone. We got some vocab words. All right, <laughs> I got some vocabulary rolling <laughs> around, Kurt. And again, <laughs> I'm afraid that I'm going to hinge all of my deliberating on this one Stan Rogers song. But I will say that Stan Rogers song and my limited knowledge of Arctic exploration. <laughs> Because yeah. of that, Kurt, I am going to say that the first story of the ice exploration is the true one. All right. Based on the Northwest Passage by Stan Rogers. You know, I was thinking while you were saying that, that you once based a guess on what year the book Horton Hears a Who had come out. <laughs> Which you were incorrect about, by the way, yet still managed to guess the correct story. So, like I said, this is pretty good and apparently enough to do the job because you are correct, Luis. Hey! The Lost Franklin Expedition is the true story. Yes, yes, yes. Foulweather Jack, I will say, is actually a real person. Okay, good. He was another Arctic explorer. Oh! Uh, and he had... A reputation for running into bad weather. I don't know if he's specifically Arctic explorer, <laughs> but some sort of naval explorer. And yeah, it's just just known that everywhere he goes, just bad weather. But to be honest, it seems like that's kind of all of these guys. So oh, I'm like, I don't know. That is yeah. His name was uh, John John Byron. Okay, right on. Hell yeah. Okay, thanks, Stan Rogers. Stan Rogers yeah. coming to help me out. Yeah, Stan Rogers got the win. Uh, that uh, you know, I, that one does not taste as bad in my mouth as the Horton Here's a Who one because <laughs> at least it, I, as far as I know, this is the accurate Stan Rogers lyrics. So if I go look it up into something else, because you famously do miss your lyrics, I go look at some completely other names. I'm gonna scream. I, I am I am famous for for singing incorrect things. So maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> Kurt, but I beg of you, please do not go searching on Google. You know 
what? Ignorance is bliss. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit right here. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! I don't want to know. This is, I don't this know, is what dude. we call the ignorance episode of unbelievable. Yeah, for real. So, what do you think about that, Luis? Now, now that um, you know that the Lost Franklin expedition story is real, does it does it kind of make some of those facts seem a little harder of like the situation they're in and considering this guy? Uh, you know, what did I say? Four to ten years or four to eight years walking alone yeah. in the Arctic, and maybe up to twelve years total he survived in the Arctic when he's like sixty something. Oh, that's it's just. You know? it, that, that's what they get for not putting that guy in charge. Yeah, that's what they get for Tell you that. He wasn't eating any boots. Yeah, he, his tummy was just full of other things, not canned food. Maybe he was able to keep walking because he still had boots. You know, that's what I was thinking. I was uh, like, wouldn't shoot. you like right after you eat your boots be like, wow, that was a stupid decision? Well, Kurt, you know, you, we can't, we <laughs> cannot project project the biases of the present to the figures of the past, Kurt. So maybe I should go conquer the Northwest Passage. Maybe it's time yeah, Kurt. For me have to- you? ever eaten a boot don't think so well no see that's the point is i'll be able to make the walk for 12 years because i'll still have my boots uneaten like uh like captain crozier well you know yeah i guess so and then i'll die and then you'll be super cool but you know going back to the the story i i you know i've read a lot about not a lot but i've read a a couple things about arctic exploration you 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 can read fairly well some some could say so well i mean i've heard people say that i don't know if that's I'm not something I've experienced firsthand, which is odd since we live together, but I've, I've heard it said before. That not by me, because I'm famously not good at speaking. But, uh, right, you know, I do right. know that Arctic expeditions have been deadly to the point where, like, the, what is, is it, HMS Endurance have has just been found in the last year or two years uh, under the sheet That might of be ice. the the, Air, the Erebus, yeah. No, it's the Endurance. It's the HMS Endurance has been found. Oh, interesting. So it's also been found recently. It, yeah, literally in the past year. And, and it just goes to show that, I mean, this place is so uninhabitable or has been for most of history, if not all of history, that it's it's one of the most dangerous places to be yeah. in, uh, around the world. So learning more about the specific people involved in this thing was really interesting to me because generally I kind of think of like the reason why people are trying to do this, even when it seems like a bad idea, is the lust for money. Mm-hmm. But I think really that's more like why the people organizing it are doing it. Yeah. The people who are just on the ground doing it are all, you know, got this sort of like adrenaline junkie yeah. adventure want the achievement and the glory type thing to a clear point of like putting themselves Seriously. in very real danger. You think about, uh, you know, Sir James Clark Ross, six successful Arctic and Antarctic expeditions. Uh, no, I'm sorry, just six successful Arctic ones and a couple more Antarctic ones on top of that. That's an insane yeah. amount of your life to be spending in the cold, even if you are wildly successful on all of them. For and sure. like they all go according to plan. For sure. And and, and again, it, it, we, we talked about this sense of exploration that humans have. And it's just fascinating that, like you said, a lot of people just say, yeah, I want to do this for the sake of doing this. And it reminds me of the people that are always seeking the highest thing to jump off of. You know, why <laughs> the hell did Felix Baumgartner in 2014 jump off of a platform in near space? We can, I guess. You know, I think it's the same. Yeah. Even just like the at the be, at the beginning of this episode, we were talking about the guy who had been the farthest traveled North human. Yeah, so I kind of thought when I read that, like, what's the point of that? Like, they just sailed until they're like, okay, we crossed the line, mark like where we yeah. are. Now go back. Yeah. Seriously, <laughs> no, that's that's lovely, and I, I I love that. I really I really do like that. It, it gives me a nice a nice air of hope. So that's why I'm happy it's real. Yeah. Now the other story, you really did capture the <laughs> mid 1800s political instability of the. The U.S. And, you know, I think yes. it, was, it was a really good detail what you mentioned about the government not wanting to really get their hands too dirty, considering the tensions that were alive between the states. Mm-hmm. That was incredible detail. So I think you you really are bringing.
bringing in a lot of historical context to the stories that just makes it so believable. I'm, if I didn't know about the Northwest Passage from that Stan Rogers song, Kurt, I would have fallen for it because it's such a, I mean, shoot, it's a story that you hear now. Right. Yeah. So I think that that I I probably would have would have fallen for at least made it made my my decision a little bit more difficult. But yeah. that's good. Well, it's got you know it's got the all the stuff about foul weather Jack on the front too, which which was like largely borrowed from uh you know the the, the little anecdote about Charles Vane mm-hmm. the pirate. That was a true thing that Charles Vane did at one point. So it's got a lot of like facts in there that make it feel very real. Well, speaking of the piracy section, Kurt, did you make up salting? pirates or salting captured pirates yes i made up all the interrogation <sighs> and stuff so all the information about foul weather jack is completely made up i just uh, imagined all of that and you. you know what is this personality and these stories of this anecdote of why he's called foul weather jack so the only borrowed facts in there are charles vane really had this incident with the governor he also uh he was not killed but he was uh deposed in the mutiny mm. by calico jack rackham okay. and uh any other i mentioned uh jose enriquez i think was a real pirate but he wasn't religious but yeah this about salting guys uh, was was made up. So you uh, sick, sick. Man. I mean, you lived with me, Luis. I can't believe that you would not picture I could be capable of imagining. This. Yeah, and, I, and, because, and then he goes, "The truth will be drawn out one way or another." And because and because we live together, you can definitely deduce, Kurt, that I found that description kind of delicious. So mm. anyway, that's the only reason you you were never salted, Luis, is because I knew you'd enjoy it too much. Yeah, I need I need my own arm. <laughs> Anyway, what does this uh, bring our tally up to? That brings our score to three to four with you in the lead by one. Hey! But still anyone's game. The crown but, uh, is yeah. on. Somehow this feels more comfortable like you slightly. Like this is our state of normalcy is you slightly in the lead. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess so. I've been institutionalized by this podcast. Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> That's how badly I'm losing here. Yeah. But let me leave you on this one little anecdote here. Because remember I told you about Robert McClure who did six successfully chart the Northwest Passage, but had to abandon boats and get rescued by another guy who had to abandon four out of his five ships. You recall this? Yes. Okay. So one of those four out of five ships that was left was the HMS Resolute, which was later saved by the United States, salvaged and returned to Britain. Uh, and in turn, Britain turned some of the planks from it into the Resolute desk, which is now in the White House. Uh, if you've seen uh, National Treasure, you will, of course, be very familiar with the Resolute desk. Oh, that is the origin of that desk. It's the desk in the Oval Office. Yes. So wow. had it not been for the man who ate his own boots bumbling his way through the arctic there would be no resolute desk in national treasure maybe there would still be a national treasure but we wouldn't have that little plot line thank you captain franklin and on that note everyone hope you enjoyed listening if you want to hear more of us or see bonus content from the episodes check out our social medias we are on instagram at unbelievable pod and twitter at unbelievable pc you can find us anywhere you find your podcast leave us a review if you liked it if you don't like it call Luis's number. It'll be in the show notes. That being said, thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, if you get stranded, try eating your boots. Could be yummy. You never know. Maybe salt your arm a little bit. Might be even yummier. Maybe salt your arm a little bit. Ah, multi-courses. All right. That's nice. Yes. Bye, everyone. See ya. Sing one warm night.
savage and make a northwest passage to the sea. Westward from the Davis Strait, tis there was said to lie the sea route from the Orient for which so many died. Seeking gold and glory, leaving weathered broken bones and a long forgotten lonely cairn of stones. Ah, for just one time, I would take the Northwest Passage to find the hand of Franklin reaching for the Beaufort Sea, tracing one warm line through a land so wide and savage, and make a northwest passage to the sea.